showing those Bible project videos. And I think they actually do a very good job uh, with theology, studying the study of God. And so, um, you know, the church here in Dallas, um, all the disciples have been reading this book by Mark Templer, and it's called um, uh, The Cross of Our Savior. So hopefully uh, everyone who's a member of the body is reading it, and uh, we should almost be finished uh, with the book. And so I know George is just starting, so we want to encourage him, um, you know, to catch up with everybody. And so maybe we can give him like a half a day off tomorrow and catch up. So, you know, maybe you can talk. We'll have a line here. You can talk to him. He's going to Austin. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, and I I like, you know, how the words that he ended the video, uh, what was it? Um, Alone and what is it? I hear whispering, but I don't hear anything. What? Innocent and alone. Okay, thank you. Innocent and alone. I'm, I'm getting old. I don't hear real well. So, innocent and alone. And you need to think about that sometime. You know, maybe we're not so innocent, but we can definitely feel alone. And so I want to do here, um, this morning, uh, I'm going to, we're, we're, last week, um, Alan did a great job and with one of the seven sayings of it is finished. And, you know, that's finished for Jesus. It's like he came to the conclusion of his ministry, why he was here. And I'm going to talk about uh, one of the other sayings here in a minute. Uh, but before I do that, there's a couple things I want to notice. Is that, First of all, no one noticed I have a new shirt from Christmas. Um, <laughs> You know, it's from Brooks Brothers, it's really expensive, it may, it's vertical, so it makes me look thin, uh, and no one said anything. So, okay, I'm kind of hurt, okay? Um, and so, we're going to talk about forgiveness, so I forgive you, amen. Um, the second thing is, is that what we want to talk about is, um, you know, just, just the church, uh, where we're at. You know, the Northwest region, uh, for the last literally 10 years have been just incredible. It's been blow away. Uh, just what, what God's been doing in the Northwest region. Uh, we've hired some uh, great people. Um, you know, the Zecks, you know, the Smiths, Laura. Uh, it's just incredible um, how God has blessed us. And so, what? I can't, yeah, amen. <laughs> I'm, in, <laughs> I'm encouraging Laura, amen. So, no, Alan, obviously, Alan. Alan's awesome, amen. So, and just, you know, the whole church, it's like the Denton group, the campus, over 50 students uh, up in Denton, um, you know, the other regions. Uh, you know, God's just allowing this church to grow. And, and so next week, uh, when we get together, we're going to talk about um, some potential plans that we have for the church and the, the Northwest region. Because really, honestly, I would love to have, you know, like Jordan and Adam, Alan, to get more opportunities to preach at the end of the day. Not here, but more opportunities other places to <laughs> preach. And so we'll talk about that. So it's going to be exciting. But what I want to do here is I want to talk about the first saying of Jesus when he was on the cross. And, you know, when you, when you go back to uh, the book that Mark read, or wrote, I'm sorry, The Cross of Our Savior. He, his chapter 5 is on this, on Luke chapter 23. And uh, the title 
of the chapter is forgiving others even when it hurts. And, I mean, it's an okay title of a chapter. I mean, I have never wrote a book, so I'm not going to be the first to cast a stone. Um, But that was his chapter. But, you know, you think about that. And I read the chapter again when I was working on my lesson here uh, and the today. And, and, you know, when when we talk about forgiveness, what an impact that has on other people's lives. Now, sometimes we don't get it. We don't understand. You know, in fact, there's, I have a, in, in this lesson, embedded in this lesson, I have a, a, um, a quote from C.S. Lewis. And it says, this quote says, um, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so true. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have to forgive somebody else. So you think about the enduring impact forgiveness has, especially as disciples. And in the book, Mark uses an illustration. You see it in Acts chapter 7 and verse 59. And this is when, um, this is the, the martyr of Stephan. And in verse 59, it says, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my sight. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So we know, certainly, and reading the Bible, is that the early church, you know, I'm sure they knew every or most of the stories of Jesus. This, I'm not sure exactly how long this was after Jesus uh, was crucified, maybe, you know, five to seven years, something like that. But you know that in those first, that half decade after Jesus died, the early church, that's all they heard. You know, they didn't have the Bible yet like we have it. So they heard story after story after story about Jesus, his life, his actions, his words. And it was so well known. It was so embedded in the body. Now we have the Bible. That's a whole nother discussion. Because it, we have the scriptures. We should be, it should be embedded in our lives so much more now. We don't have to wait until we get together to let the word embed in our hearts. So Stephen here, if you know the story, is that, that he was basically confronted, and he confronted the religious leaders of his time, and he was literally able to face murderers. And in this context, when he's about to get stoned, and you know, I think when you know you're going to get stoned, you, you know you're going to die here. And when you have a bunch of angry people around you with stones in their hand, and they're all looking at you and yelling at you. And it says, he cried, and it says, Lord Jesus, receive um, my spirit. And then falling to his knees, again, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know, two people took notice of that. Again, you have to go back and read Acts chapter 7. But you know the two people who took notice? The first one was Jesus. Because it says Jesus was standing, welcoming Stephen. And that's when he said, hey, he goes, look, I, I see the Lord. And that's when they started yelling. And then they started throwing the stones. And that's when he said what he said. So Jesus recognized and acknowledged his death. And also, so did Paul. Because Paul says later in Acts, he says, I was there, 
And I was basically agreeing with this death sentence. In fact, I was guarding all the clothes, the cloaks of the people who were stoning him. So two people saw Stephen get stoned, but what did they acknowledge? His few words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where did he get that? Jesus. Where did he hear that? Where did he understand that? Jesus. So let's look at Jesus. You know, Luke chapter 23, the text that we're going to look at, we know, you know, if you look, again, you read before and after the text, you understand that the crowds are mocking him. All of his loved ones abandon him. He's lonely. The Roman soldiers are nailing him to the cross. They're gambling for his clothes. Literally, he is put to shame, being crucified naked in front of his family. And so what does Jesus do? He prays. He prays. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. You know, when I read this, and I read this text, and I, and I understand what's going on here, I am amazed, horrified, and compelled. And I'm going to share with you at the end of this talk why I'm amazed horrified, and compelled. So we know that Jesus was praying. You know, it wasn't a few years after his resurrection. It wasn't once his wounds on his hands and his feet were healed. He didn't start praying until after the pain had been, or the pain of being forsaken by his father had dimmed, and that things have miraculously gotten better, but it was literally in the very midst of the pain and wrongdoing that we find Jesus praying. And it says here he prayed to his father, and he could have been praying other prayers. You know, when you understand the crucifixion, there, there's Old Testament scripture, there's, there's, there's Psalms that I know were on Jesus' heart when he, I'm sure he prayed. And let's look at Psalm chapter 22. This is one of them. Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the other sayings of Jesus on the cross. Why are you so far from me? So far from my words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day. But you do not answer by night and I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned on, as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you... Our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. And you can read the rest of the, the psalm. But imagine someone suffering unjustly, innocent, 
And, and just these words, this prayer on his lips, in his mind, in his heart. He's praying. You know, I joke, but I don't really joke. You know, I go out. I live about a mile from Lake Louisville. It's on the other side of the, the lake, on the other side of the bridge, the poor side. <laughs> and I walk down to Lake Louisville, and, and I got to go pray every day. I go out, and I go for half an hour to an hour, and if I don't go pray, because, see, my prayer is my sanity. If I don't go to God to pray, if I don't go God to talk, if, if I don't go to the one that can understand everything that I'm going through, I'll go insane. You know, I would like to consider myself educated. But you know, my vocabulary is not such that I can communicate how I feel completely. Ooh, hurts. Mmm, bad. Todd, hot. Me, hungry. That's about as good as it gets. But you know, I read this. And I read these words and, and this despair and this longing and this, and this frustration and, and the mocking and the calling out to his father. I get it. He's praying. But, you know, what's he praying? Well, he's praying for intercession. Jesus' first saying on the cross was a prayer. He's going through the hardest and most painful thing you would think someone would have to endure, and yet he was praying. And what's even more impressive is what he was, that he was praying for others. He wasn't praying for himself. You know, when times are good and you're healthy, maybe... You look at others' needs and try to help them. When times are good, when you're healthy. But when times are bad, when you've been wronged, persecuted, or you feel pain, we usually go to what we call the woe is me mentality. And we tend to focus on ourselves. We're the epicenter. With the whole world evolving around me. And that's our natural human tendency. I'm in pain. I'm hurting. I've been wronged. Look what's happening to me. You know, that's like one of the first words a child learns. Me. Mine. Or, no. <laughs> yeah. But what's Jesus doing? He's praying for others. You know, it might not be a surprise to us to see Jesus praying in the midst of this, but to see what he's praying for should. You know, we could understand if he was praying, Father, they've nailed me to a piece of wood. I've come to save them, and now they're trying to kill me. Father, strike them dead, and let's start all over again. That would be understandable, but really not like Jesus. Or maybe, Father, 
I know I have to endure the cross for the salvation of your people, but it's so difficult and painful, so please help me to endure it. That would be a very understandable prayer. But he doesn't pray that either. So what was Jesus concerned about? Us. Making intercession for us. You know, in Isaiah chapter 53, the writer says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is what he did. This is what he was doing. This is why he was there. He was praying for others. You think about that. He bore the sin of many. Made intercession for the transgressors. Do do we look at ourselves as transgressors? Sinful. Because that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was praying for us. During the time that it would have been understandable and expected for even Jesus to be self-focused, he literally was being others-focused. Father, Forgive them. Thinking about us and where we're at. Hey, you think about that. Again, you know, things are going great. Hey, you know what? I'll stick my neck out. Yeah, let me help you a little bit. I'll give you a little bit of gristle on that bone. I'll, I'll do something. But when we're hurting, it's no longer about you. It's all about me. You know, next we see that he was praying that his father would forgive. His focus was on God and certainly those who were killing him. And then he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He was praying that his father would forgive. And through this, we see Jesus' humility and his appropriate view of sin and who it affects. Oh, man, someone's in trouble. (laughs) He was praying that his father would forgive. Dude, just dump all the pennies in, bro. Do it, man. (laughs) Go ahead. That's the kid's kingdom, bro. Tink, tink, tink. Amen. (laughs) You know, the first and foremost wrong he had in mind wasn't the wrong being committed against him. It was the wrong being committed against God. Jesus was the one that was tortured. Jesus is the one that was whipped. Jesus is the one that was nailed. Jesus was up on impaled on a piece of wood. And he prays to his father, 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 you forgive them. Jesus was showing us how we ought to deal with being wronged and sinned against. See, our view of God's holiness and righteousness must be that we realize that when wrong is committed, it's not against us. It's against God. 
You know, when someone comes and confesses to you, maybe they lied to you, they did something, they hurt you, they betrayed you. <laughs> you know, do we feel, first and foremost, that we have a view, uh, such a view of our own holiness and righteousness that our attitude was, how dare you sin? No, how dare you sin against me? <laughs> Kind of like between a Darth Vader and a Jabba the Hutt. Amen. So how dare you sin against me? How could you hurt me like that? And that's what we do. We think about the injustices against us. Or do we have a high view of God? Do we have a view of God's holiness and his righteousness that we become broken over the fact that it was God that was wronged? Maybe when I don't treat my wife the way that I'm supposed to, or a brother, maybe when I sin against someone, it's God that's being sinned against. David talks about in the Old Testament in, in Psalm 53. And that, that's kind of a freaky scripture because, you know, he just basically killed Bathsheba's uh, husband, Uriah, and he's confronted a year later by Nathan, and he's convicted, and he's broken, and he does this whole, is it Psalm 53, isn't it? 51. Okay, I'm close. Amen. So, you know, and, and he's just this whole, whole psalm of, I've sinned against you, restore unto me, let me start all over, I'll become white, and I'll go preach your word. And then he goes, only against you have I sinned. Wait, wait, dude, you just killed a guy. You just killed Bathsheba's husband, and then you married her. I mean, why are you saying only against you have I sinned? Because David understood God's holiness and righteousness. Could you say, yeah, he sinned against Uriah? Yeah, I could, you could say that. But see, in our sinful nature, it, want, it wants to go back to me. Because if, it's not, if, it's, if we take God out of the equation, then whenever we're sinned against, it's me. I'm the one suffering. I'm the one you've sinned against. It's me. But when we think about it's God, then it changes everything. If anybody could have been rightly offended by a wrong done against him, it was Jesus. Yet he first and foremost cared about the restoration between the sinner and the father. His concern was the sinner and the father are reconciled. Because, see, that's why Jesus came. In Ephesians, or Ephesians, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we don't need to pray how the person has wronged us and ask us for the strength to forgive. (laughs) I love that. Lord, give me strength because George has sinned against me. Really? Really? First and foremost, we need to pray how that person has hurt and sinned against our Father and ask our Father to forgive them. 
Jesus has proven his ability to forgive sins in his healing ministry. Jesus taught that forgiveness comes only to those who forgive others. And that forgiveness has no limits. And he's even called us to love our enemies. But on the cross, Jesus practiced what he preached. He watched those who mocked him, played games with him, scourged him, crucified him, and divided up his clothes in front of him when he's dying. Then he asked his father, he asked his father to forgive them. And lastly, he was praying because they did not know. He was praying because they did not know. Jesus offered his prayer to those who did not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. It wasn't offered to those who are repenting. It wasn't offered to those who are confessing. It wasn't offered to those who are sorry for their sins. It was to those who did not know what they were doing. For those that were unaware, ignorant, even rebellious. And he called for forgiveness because he loved his enemies. But the explicit reason was for their ignorance. You know, in Jesus' situation, and the video shows a little bit, you know, the Jewish accusers... um, You know, neither the Jewish accusers or the Roman executor fully realized the gravity of their sin or their actions. The Jews were trying to protect their religious establishment. The Romans were protecting their power and political territory. And both the Jews and the Romans acted defensively in putting their personal self-interest and political and religious institutions above the call for justice. Blinded by their self-interest... They never realized that they were actually executing an innocent man. They certainly were not aware that they were executing the Son of God who came to save his people from their sins. And the greatness of what he was doing was cheapened by the light and trivial. He is seen dying so that men might possess eternal life, and yet men in the same scene are playing a game of Dice, who would get this somewhat valuable piece of clothing. And so they cast their lots to divide his garments because they did not know. So I read this, one little verse, and I'm amazed, and I'm horrified, and I am compelled. I'm amazed as I read this and I see how much Jesus loved. How much he was concerned. How in his pain and his suffering and the injustice going on in his life. And he prayed to his father. And he prayed for others, for their forgiveness. Because he was more concerned about them and his father 
than he was about the injustice being served up against him. I mean, are you amazed? That's amazing. I mean, we could talk about all the injustices, all the garbage that we've been, or we've seen, or we read about. All of it. And Jesus was enduring all that, all the garbage that the world can throw at him as an innocent man, and is looking out for other people. He was concerned about God. And you don't see this pity party. Mm. Pity parties. Now I'm horrified. And do you know why I'm horrified? I'm horrified because if God in his infinite holiness can forgive, how much more should I forgive? If God could freely offer forgiveness with his arms stretched out, with an embrace, not reluctantly, how much more should I forgive? This is just the way God forgives people, but also how God forgives me. See, I'm horrified because of all the things that I don't know what they do, or I know not what they do. What areas in my life am I unaware? What areas in my life am I ignorant? What areas in my life am I rebellious? And I know not what I do. I'm horrified. I'm horrified because I like to hold on to grudges. I'm not, I don't like to be really quick to forgive. And I'm vastly aware of how ignorant I can be at times. I look at my first 10 years as a disciple as the decade of ignorance. 10 years. A disciple. Going into the ministry. You guys hired an ignorant leader. <laughs> so who's really ignorant? <laughs> Fool you once, shame on me. Fool you twice, shame on you. <laughs> Decade of ignorance. They don't know what they don't. They don't know. They don't understand. They're rebellious. They're angry. They're self-interest. They do it their way. What am I doing right now that I should be aware of? Hey, that's a whole other lesson. That's where advice comes in. Seeking input, many advisors. That's why, help me. I want to open up my life. What do you think? I want to go to people. We got, we got some incredible men and women it's just in this part of the church that I just like, George, what do you think? Shade, Alan, what do you guys think? And I, I go, I just, there's so many people. I want to know. I want to understand. I want to see clearly. I've seen their lives. I've seen the last 20, 30, 40 years. I see where they're at. I want to know why, how. I'm horrified. You know, there's a book. I, 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 I'm going to get the quote sometime. The problem is the quote's like a half a page. Um, 
It's, I, I, when I got my master's degree, I, I took a class. The whole class was on the book of Job. And fascinating class. Patty did all my papers. She got a B for me. It was awesome. And, and they had us read this book. And it was kind of like a contemporary book kind of based on Job and his suffering and all this stuff. And, and in the book, it was like in like the 1850s in Germany. And it was about the Prussian time of Germany. And, and there's this guy, he was going through in, incredible injustice. And it was like this mock trial. And, and he had to go to this, like this kangaroo-type court. And, and, and he was basically, he was just like, this is a joke. And, and he was like in front of this judge and these people that were going to judge him. And he just went off like, you guys don't have any power, authority. This is a joke. And I'm not, I'm not guilty and blah, 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 blah. And he just, he pontificated and then he started walking out. And in the, in the book, it says, before he walked out the door, the little judge was there. And he looks up into him. He goes, you do not understand what you've done. You don't understand what you've done to your, your trial. And at the end of the book, the, the guy gets executed. And again, it's like a kangaroo court. It shouldn't have happened. It's, why is this going on? But the opportunity this guy had to be to get help or get input and to be real and like, help me understand this. What, what do I need to do? He didn't. He just rebelled. And, but we rebel in a lot of ways. I want to do it my way. That's what the Romans and Jews did. They did it their way. And you don't know what you're doing. And I read that thing, it was like 12 years ago, and it sticks with me. Because I think about it, what are the things I'm not doing that I should know? And that haunts me, it horrifies me. So I try to be open, I try to be vulnerable. I try to be real. I want to know. Which then actually leads me to the third last thing. Is I'm compelled. I, I'm compelled. Because I realize the most difficult thing in the world is to do the most natural thing. Something I once refused to do now becomes something I'm compelled to do. I forgive because I'm forgiven. I forgive freely because God has forgiven me. I want to love all people because God has loved me and all of us people. I'm compelled. I'm compelled to do it his way, not my way. I'm compelled because I see his love. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. So I hope as we take communion, we'll think about Jesus' praying. First prayer. First words out of his mouth on the cross. And I pray that it motivates us. I hope it horrifies some of us. And makes us start thinking, what do we need to do? How do we need to change? What, how can we become more like Jesus? Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we come to you now this prayer humbled and grateful. Thank you, Father, for your love. God, thank you so much just for this body and the richness of this group of people that we have. 
Father, help us look at your son and those seven sayings on the cross. Father, thank you that Jesus prayed for us, prayed for our forgiveness. Father, help us to understand our Father in heaven, his holiness, your holiness, and your righteousness. So that God will be more concerned about you than ourselves. Father, we'll be more eager to do it your way, not our way. And that, Father, in that, we have the healing and the forgiveness that you want to offer us. We love you. We're grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.